Welcome to Refuge, everyone. You're going to need your Bibles, so please grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, we have several back there on the table. So as a review, last week we were in Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. And I know many of you were here last week. It was a great lesson for me, a reminder that I saw from this woman of how to worship Jesus because of our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for each one of us. And I, you know, each week... I preach the message, obviously, and then I actually listen to it again on the podcast as we were talking. The reason I usually listen to the podcast is just to make sure that uh, as I preach, maybe I say something or did something I need to go back on or whatever the case is. But I always listen to the podcast on both, usually on Facebook and the actual podcast. And it helps me reflect, and it reflected on me and Jesus in my own life and how it reminded me how Jesus has given me a new life. I am a new creation. But today, as I live out each day, each of us, right, as we live out each day, I sometimes don't remember. Well, remember probably isn't the best word, because I remember, but it isn't, that isn't the best description. I think the rawness of what it is the day that we received Christ, the day that we experienced God's grace and God's mercy when he came upon us. It's a miraculous thing when we experience that redemption, isn't it? It's, it's just, when it's so afresh in your mind, then you go through years and years, and even decades for some of you, of being a Christian. Sometimes we read stories like last week, and we can remember what it is for this woman to be on her knees, crying, washing Jesus' feet with her tears, then drying his feet with her hair, then kissing his feet and anointing his feet. This story is amazing, and it reminded me of worship because of our faith. It was raw, wasn't it? That worship? It was just raw. That's where it, it was like beautifully ugly, is the way I'm going to say it. Because you can imagine this. It was, it was beautiful. Just the tears flowing, the weeping, the praising of Jesus. And it reminded me, this was this lady's response to Jesus coming to know him through faith. It was amazing. Now, again, for all of us being on the side of being saved, being redeemed, I think often we need to go back, right? We do it through communion once a month, but each and every day we need to go back and remember this type of worship, a similar worship to what this lady presented to Jesus, a worship that each of us can worship him for what he's done for us, to recollect how he's forgiven us and redeemed us. So I brought up a question. Each of us, and this is a question I asked myself each day this week, am I laying down each and every morning everything that I am, everything that I do, in worshiping Jesus, the one who has given me this new life? Because, you know, we go day by day, and it kind of gets put in the back a little bit. Sometimes we need to go back and just remember what Jesus has done for us. It convicted me this week. It really did. Just to go back, like you sing that song, to go back to what Jesus has done. And remember how raw that was when I first hit my knees crying. So today, we're going to continue. We're going to continue to walk with Jesus as he's ministering to the people. And here's my question as we begin. I usually start with a question. Is there any part of you between the world, anything in the world that's coming between you and your walk with Jesus, you being faithful to Jesus? Is there any part of the world that's coming between you and your faith or your calling from Jesus? Think about it. Could be your job, could be money, could be your school, your college, could be your hobbies, could be your family, 
That's a tough one some people don't like to hear. Could be your time, just time in general, right? What do you give your time to? So I want us all to pray about this question. And then we're going to dig into today's passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word today, I just thank you for this place you've given us, Lord, to come together as a local body, Lord, to study your word. Lord, I just pray for your anointing of your spirit on this message, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to each one of us through your word. And Lord, I just pray now, Lord, you just sweep through here, Lord, your spirit, Lord, and just remove all the distractions of the world from our minds. You just shut down our phones, just turn off our texting. And Lord, our focus would just be in worship, in the study of your word, growing in our relationship Knowing you, knowing what you've called us to do, what you've done for us, Lord, and the plans that you have for each and every one of us, and who you would have us be as your children. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, you continue just to equip us, Lord, just to bless us with giftings, Lord, that we can go out, Lord, into this world and just share you and share the hope of Jesus. So, Lord, I just ask for your blessing on this message and your anointing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Got your Bibles? So we have to uh, start, actually, we're going to be in Matthew 12, but we have to turn to Luke first. Now look at three verses, because I've been telling you we've been going in chronological order, so we've got to look at three verses first. So Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and then after these three verses, we're going to jump right into Matthew. And I'll try to go a little fast today. Um, I hope everyone's got their printout um, for time. Luke chapter 8, first three verses. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his twelve disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus is heading out. He's heading out into all the towns and the villages to share the good news, to share hope as these disciples and these women followed. And again, as we see repetitively, Jesus shows us an example to follow. As we go out to the cities, the nations, these different countries, we, as Jesus, should be sharing the gospel. That's what we're there for, to share the gospel. You notice nothing else is mentioned in the text. When Jesus went out, it says he shared the good news. He shared the gospel. That's, that's the message. And what is unique in this story is that as Jesus went out, that there was many women that were come along, but I believe also just invited to come along and learn from Jesus, to sit under Jesus' teaching. They even, it says, they provided for the ministry, supplying different resources that Jesus and the disciples needed to carry out the work that God had called them to do. This was not normal in Jewish culture. This was not the normal thing. But again, Jesus was breaking the customs of the day. He was teaching these women, and they came alongside Jesus' ministry. It's beautiful. So with the support of these women that came along, Jesus and the disciples were then able to go out and share the hope of Jesus Christ. Jesus humbly accepted their help, and it's a great lesson for us all just right there, that little bit. These women mention Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and others, obviously for, were from some very different backgrounds, uh, socially, economic, from very different backgrounds. One, we read, had just been freed from seven demons— 
Now, I don't know, but you imagine a woman, her life right after being freed from seven demons, or imagine her life before. I don't even know what that would look like. I've seen some people, but it would be uh, interesting for sure. So I can imagine that she did not live a life that would have caused others to gather around her as she was possessed by seven demons at one point. Although some have said that Mary here was a prostitute, but I want everyone to know that is not mentioned anywhere or even suggested in the Bible. It does say that she was freed from demonic possession, though. Then Joanna, this was a woman of great status or you know, of money, truly, I'm sure, that had graced herself with the top government officials and the leaders of the day. So we got an interesting group, right? They had very different lives, one from the very top of economic and social status to a woman that had just been freed from seven demons. These women had come together under Jesus, under the ministry of Jesus, and to go alongside Jesus and to go share the gospel and the freedom that each of them had received through faith in Jesus. I think that's it's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of the church. I love this. Today, I see, I see this here. I see people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, countries, social, and we all come together in unity, and we worship, and we go out and we share the hope of Jesus. Many different personalities, but all under Jesus. It's amazing. So as Jesus goes out in these towns, just like we would go out in these towns, I know some of you even have family members out in different towns, different villages, you're going to encounter many things, just like Jesus. Jesus encountered the sick. He encountered the lost. So now we're going to continue and see what Jesus is going to do. So let's turn all the way over now to continue the story in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 23. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak, was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? So this story today, the passage today, begins with a miracle, a healing, and then transforms into the questioning from these people of who Jesus is because of what he had just done. This miracle that we read about has just freed this man from demonic possession. And in casting, as Jesus casted out this demon, this man's vision and his hearing was also restored, which is likely a result of the demonic possession. As I was studying, I found some interesting things. It's, I learned, and now I don't know exactly, I believe this is true, but I learned that it's likely that the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, especially their exorcists, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, they believed that if they were to cast a demon out of a person, that they had to do this by name. So this, was, this could only be done, they believed, is to get the person that was demonically possessed, or the demon, to give them the name. And then they would, by name, they would cast that demon out. Now, I believe this is probably true. Um, I tried to research it as much as I could, but I, I believe it's probably true. But there's a problem here because if the name wasn't given, these people at the time believed maybe they couldn't cast out the demon. Do you see the problem in this man's story? The man was mute. So it's very interesting. This guy, it says his vision and hearing was restored. So these religious leader would have seen this man as hopeless because they, with his condition, 
they would not have possibly known the name of the demon. Yet, Jesus has now come, and he's healed this man. He's freed this man from this demonic possession, which these leaders, in this case, believed was probably impossible. Now, this act of Jesus here, this healing, has caught the attention of everyone as we read in the passages. This crowd, they begin to question. Everyone begin to question, who is this Jesus? And I think even as they had a different idea of who the Messiah would be, they were now looking to Jesus and saying, is Jesus the Messiah? Even though he doesn't fit our description or what we thought he would look like or what he would do. I believe in this story, the Holy Spirit is working alongside Jesus. And he's, as Jesus is performing miracles, the Holy Spirit's working, convicting these people, speaking truth of who Jesus is, testifying to these, the hearts and the minds of these people, convicting them of their sin and speaking to them that Jesus is the Messiah. This is what the Holy Spirit does. So this message and this miracle now has now started to bring these people to question. Could it be Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah? But as we read on, there's another response, isn't there, besides questioning? Let's look at verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. These religious leaders' hearts were so hardened, they tried to give Satan credit for this wonderful miracle that Jesus had just performed. Freeing this man from blindness, from being mute, from being demon-possessed. This rejection of Jesus has progressed, hasn't it? It's progressed. They didn't just accuse Jesus of lying now, but they have said now that he's actually empowered by Satan. Think about this, what they're saying to Jesus, what they're saying to the Son of God, what they're saying to the one who had been sent to die on the cross for their very sins. Think about what they're saying to him. One thing I can see for sure, these people here, they they must have believed in the power of Satan, but they surely did not believe in Jesus. How many people today walking around are in that same position in life? Believing in the power of evil, yet without the hope or faith in Jesus to save them from its grasp. Lots of people. They believe in evil, but they don't believe in the hope of Jesus. That's what these people are saying. And while Jesus was there, the Holy Spirit was right there with Jesus, calling them to believe, convicting them. But them, these people themselves, their hearts were hardened. They didn't hear, they didn't see themselves, in fact, to be freed from Satan's power. The tables have turned, hasn't it, really? It's them now who couldn't see. It's them who couldn't see or hear that Jesus, the Messiah, was standing right in front of them. So let's read Jesus' response to these Pharisees as they have just said that Jesus has used the power of Satan to heal and cast out demons. We're going to read that in 2529, but what would be your response? you imagine if you were out doing God's work and someone said this to you? You work by the power of Satan. you imagine? I mean, we're talking about Jesus here, but imagine. Let's look at 25 through 29. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, 
He is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of the strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. So Jesus is using this accusation to teach the truth of who he is as he is rebuking these Pharisees or these religious leaders. Again, Jesus knew these men. He knew their inner thoughts. And as we see Jesus come out with this lesson, you'll see how he reflects this of their thoughts. He is going to refute this outrageous accusation by showing them and us that what they said absolutely made no sense. How would the works of Satan benefit from the works of Jesus? It doesn't, and it, it, it can't. So Jesus, uh, he outlines several examples here. We see first, I'm going to paraphrase what he says here. He says that if a country fights against itself, it will be destroyed. Second, he says a family or a small community that fights among themselves will be divided. Third, if Satan would cast out his own demons, his kingdom wouldn't last. And then Jesus asks the leaders, he turns to them and he asks them a question. He says, if it was Satan's power that cast out this demon then their exorcists are working under Satan's power. Jesus said that if it was true that he was under the power of Satan, then they also would be empowered by Satan. This statement would have caused a great division among the Pharisees. He just said them themselves and their own religious leaders, he's accusing them of this. So they would be condemning themselves by what they've now just said of Jesus. So Jesus takes them now, he's going to take them to the truth. Now he's debated this. He's going to take them to the truth, that he himself is working through the Spirit of God, and he's going to explain to him that God himself is among them. So Jesus further describes to them that he is also the one who is powerful enough to go into Satan's home. The strong man, Satan, and take from the strong man whatever and whoever he desires. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that is more powerful than Satan, more powerful than the strong men. It's Jesus who goes in and takes us and frees us from Satan, plundering his home, Satan's home, and then claiming what he has taken from this home as his own, each one of us. An amazing analogy. Jesus has gone into Satan's domain, rescued each one of us, And then all that's required of us is to follow him, to accept this from Jesus, to accept the rescue from Jesus, to place our faith in Jesus and say, yes. It's like the story, the analogy of the guy drowning in the boat. The hand's out there. Jesus has went there. So Jesus has a lot more to teach here. Let's look at verse 30. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. This is a very serious statement or doctrine that Jesus is proclaiming here. Do we each read this and understand what he's saying? Just like this story before, we see that we either join with Jesus, being fully removed from the grasp of Satan, accepting Jesus through faith, following after him, or we're against him. 
There's no middle ground. Jesus is telling these Pharisees that in opposing him, that they're actually doing Satan's work. That's a huge rebuke. Huge rebuke. The other day I was having a conversation with a man. And I was talking to him, and he was telling me that he's a professional installer of large uh, sound equipment and speakers. And he does all the big churches all around the world. And he showed me these pictures. It's really impressive. We were having a conversation. I was like, wow, so you work for all these different churches? He said, yeah. And uh, so I asked him, so you, you do all these work in these ch- churches? Are you a Christian? He's like, well, I think Jesus has a lot of good teachings. But I think there's a lot of other good teachings from other religions, too. That's sad. That was really sad. Jesus is clear that our faith cannot be divided. Jesus is also clear in this passage that we either belong to him as children of God or we belong to Satan. That sometimes is pretty blunt, but it's what Jesus is saying. There's no other paths. There's no other options. We are with Jesus through faith or against him. We are working with Jesus or we're working for Satan. This should encourage us. You're like, what? Why would that encourage us? It should encourage us. It should motivate us to go out and share the hope of Jesus. Because there's a lot of people sitting on the fence out there, isn't there? A lot of people say, Jesus is good, but they're not really with Jesus, are they? They're like this man. Yeah, Jesus is good, but so is this. We should encourage us to go out there and, and share the hope of Jesus because we know there is no middle ground. There is no neutral Many people, they believe they can just kind of stand on the sidelines and it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay for them. They're standing there in neutral, not belonging to Jesus, because if they're not belonging to Jesus, they're working against Jesus. These scriptures are clear. Look at verse 31 through 32. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. It's a big verse. I don't know how many people have studied this verse. It's a big verse. Have you ever questioned the meaning of these verses? I bet most people who have read their Bible have questioned the meaning of these verses. There's been a lot of conversations around these verses. Have you ever questioned yourself? Have I ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit? You ever asked that question? Have you ever read this and wondered, could I lose my salvation? You ever questioned that? Let me assure you, you can't lose your salvation. Say that again. You cannot lose your salvation. Jesus is explaining the only sin that cannot be forgiven is to continually refuse the message from the Holy Spirit, the message of Jesus Christ. Make that clear? The only sin that cannot be forgiven is to continually refuse the message from the Holy Spirit, the message of who Jesus Christ is. So if you've accepted the message from the Holy Spirit, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are saved eternally. Your sins are forgiven. That cannot be taken from you. I want to share a quote from Chuck Smith. He says, The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus Christ. That is his job. He convicts you of sin and points the way to Jesus. But if you reject Jesus and refuse to come to him, there is no other way to be saved. The longer you reject Jesus, the easier it is to reject him. 
This is the road that leads to the unpardonable sin. Continual rejection of the call of the Spirit will leave you hard and calloused. Eventually, as you continue on the path of rejection, it will be too late. You will die without Jesus, and the pardon will be impossible. There are often people today who are worried that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and committed the unpardonable sin. There's a simple way to tell. Do you care? Are you worried about committing this sin? If so, the Holy Spirit is still working on you, and you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. If you don't care, who knows? Do you fear God? We are assured of our salvation. We don't need to fear that we could ever lose our salvation. I want to be clear of that. That's not what it's speaking of here. So Jesus, there's, you could preach many weeks on these verses. Uh, I'm not going to go there today. We'll save that for a Bible study. But let's continue. Let's, Jesus got a lot more to share, and he still has more to say to these people that have accused him of doing the works of Satan. So let's look at verse 33. A man is identified by its fruit. If the tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Let's just stop right there for a second here. So the results of our lives prove who we are. The fruit produced proves the truth of what we say. Jesus clearly says that we are identified by the fruit that we produce. This means if we are not producing good fruit, we really better examine ourselves. And it also comes into the fact is who we are sitting under as spiritual leaders. If we're sitting under a good tree, we'll be blessed by the wonderful fruit that it produces. But if we sit under a bad tree we will only be given fruit that is rotten and useless and perhaps harmful. We can tell in our lives and those that we come under if it is good by their results, by their fruit in their lives. How good is the fruit that's being produced by you? Is it sweet? Is it nourishing? Is it reproducing? That's a huge question. If you want to know you have good fruit, is it reproducing? Or is it bitter to others? Does it make others sick to the taste? Jesus is speaking. He's warning us. What teachings are we following? What fruit are they producing? A great question. I mean, first of all, make sure they're in the Word of God. But look at the fruit of their families. Look at the fruit of the ministries. You know, we had a graduation here. You want to see fruit. I saw some amazing testimonies of godly children that is a testimony of a family that loves the Lord. Look at the fruit. So looking at these religious leaders in uh, Jesus' day, they were the leaders, right? These are the ones that all the people looked towards. They were the leaders, but it didn't mean they were good, did it? They should be known by their fruit. Let's look at 34 and 35. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Jesus is not just concerned with the outward, but also with our hearts. Because our words come from our hearts. 
Jesus, again, he's rebuking these men. He's actually saying there that they're children of Satan, brood of vipers. He's calling them children of Satan. And that their outward words that they were speaking were a direct result from the treasury of evil that resided in their hearts. That's a big rebuke, huh? Your words are from the direct result from the treasure of evil that resides in your heart. I don't think anyone said that to me. Wow. So Jesus is coming right back to these men again, these Pharisees, for what they've said about him. He said they are evil, and they are doing Satan's work. Now, I believe this was, obviously, the statement was directed at these Pharisees, these religious leaders, but as always, we must read our, the Word of God and examine our own hearts, right? Examine our own walk. Because our words are a reflection of our own hearts also. So I was thinking about this. Some of you are going to laugh. Some of you may be uh, a little shocked. I was thinking, what would happen if I recorded myself driving? All the words and sayings that I said, if I recorded myself driving... What would that say about my heart? What about you guys? See some grins, kind of squirming? I was convicted of it this week when I was reading this. That's probably my, my mouth is going to run. That's one time it definitely runs. Um, I mean, you know, maybe nobody's listening besides my passenger, my wife. Uh, but it's something I probably should work on, especially if my words are a reflection of my heart. I need to pray that the Holy Spirit, God, would work on this with me because I'm not capable, but he is. So that way my words, when I drive, would bring him glory. And that's not what my words do when I drive. So let's close out with the last few verses for today, for this passage, 36 and 37. And I tell you this, you must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. That's a big verse. Our words not only reveal our hearts, but Jesus also tells us each that we will have to give an account to God for what we have said. Do we profess with our mouths, reflecting on Jesus and the love for us and what he's done for each one of us, that he's died for us, that he was resurrected? Is this what we profess with our mouths openly to the world? Because if we've done this, if we've come to faith in Jesus and we profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this verse says we will be acquitted. I like that. Acquitted. I didn't look it all up. But this word as I know it would be as we were... It doesn't mean that we weren't guilty, does it? Acquitted? It doesn't mean that we weren't guilty. But it does mean the case against us has been dropped. The case against us has been dropped because Jesus paid the sentence of, of our sins. So the case was dropped. We were acquitted of our sins. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, 32 through 33. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. There's a lot in the passage today, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us personally a way that we can apply a different lesson from these passages to our lives this week, personally. 
one of the points that really spoke to me is that Satan and the demonic realm isn't divided. It says in the passages that they, the demonic realm is united to serve Satan and his purposes. And they have one purpose, don't they? To draw people from knowing Jesus. And if they are following Jesus, they want to break that relationship. This demonic realm is united against God and his people. This brings me now to, to the church, us, the local church. Are we united together to bring people to know Jesus and to come together and to bring people to know and grow in their relationship with Jesus? Are we united? We just talked about all these different people with these women coming together, right? These different social, economic. You know, we got different. We got it all here. We got different denominations. We got different religious backgrounds. We got it all. But are we united together to go out into these cities and into these countries and preach the name of Jesus? Because that's why we're here. If not, we better repent. If we're causing division among the church, we better repent. Because if Satan is united to come against us. This week, let's pray. Let's pray the Holy Spirit would show us, the church, the local church, how we can better come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to go out and further the kingdom of God. There's a lot of points in the passages today. There's a lot of lessons. This is the one that spoke to me. I hope the Holy Spirit spoke something again to you personally out of this lesson. There's a lot there. I want to close today with re- reading Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make any, every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit Binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. Lord, I just pray as we study your scriptures, Lord, that you continue just to minister to each one of us, Lord, that you would speak something to each one of us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that, Lord, we would just glean something that we can take out this week, Lord, and just reflect on it each and every day. Lord, if it's the fact that our words do matter, that our words are a reflection, a direct reflection of who we are, Lord, and a direct reflection of our hearts, then, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just empower us, Lord, and just uh, we would repent of that, Lord, and we would change our words. Lord, if some of us maybe were wondering, could we lose our salvation? Lord, speak to us, Lord, and let us know that that is guaranteed, Lord. Once we have placed our faith in Jesus, Lord, we cannot lose our salvation. I thank you, Lord, for that. I don't ever have to worry about that, Lord. Lord, I just praise you and I thank you, Lord. And I just pray there would be unity in the body as we see this discussion, how you're talking about these different examples, how Satan doesn't fight against himself, yet your own church at times is fighting against itself. Lord, let us repent of that. For anyone in this local body, in this local church, Lord, let us come together in unity under the name of Jesus, Lord, and just continue to go out, Lord, and just preach to the lost, Lord. Share the hope that we found so that they also could worship of the faith that they found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you so much. I thank you for your word. 
Lord, please just bless it and anoint our time. In Jesus' name, amen.